Thank you so much. You all may be seated. Yuri, thank you so much for reading that scripture passage. There's another passage. It won't be on the screen, but I'm going to read it. It's from 2 Corinthians chapter 1. So if you have your Bible or if you just want to look it up on your phone. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 3. It's a passage many of us might have actually read this past week. But one of our roles as Christians is Jesus has purchased us with his precious blood to be priests. It doesn't matter for a man or a woman. Any and everyone who believes in Jesus is a priest. And one of our roles being the priest, priesthood of all believers, is intercession and prayer. And all that has gone on this past week over at Covenant Presbyterian Church at Covenant School, we're going to spend a few moments in prayer. And I do want to ask Officer Tim, if you should come on up, if you could come on up, please, it would be great. But right here in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3, and this is the heart of the prayer that I want us to pray here. This is what God's word says for God's people, for Jesus' glory. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Last night, Christy got a text from a friend who is at one of the funerals yesterday and the sanctuary holds 1,200 people where this funeral is being held. It's one of the people that passed away that was killed last week. And an hour before that funeral started, that sanctuary was completely full. So I want to ask you guys to stand with me and we're just going to pray for our brothers and sisters at Covenant, for the families, the loved ones, friends, for the school, even for the family of the shooter. And so I implore you now, may we pray that God, our Father, shower his comfort and strength upon our dear brothers and sisters. Let us pray. You can pray just to yourself. We pray out loud. We're going to take a few moments in prayer. Let us pray. Father, I praise you that you are the God of all comfort. You are the Father of mercies. And we can boldly approach you, Father, with boldness and confidence because Jesus is the way and he's opened that way for us to enter your presence. And Father, I praise you that you are sovereign and you're good and you're holy and you're just. And you actually invite us to cry out to you and say why and how come and it doesn't make sense and to grieve and to lament. And Father, for our dear brothers and sisters at Covenant Presbyterian, at Covenant School, Lord Jesus, 
for the families who've lost loved ones, Lord, for these children and the staff who are now going through the trauma. Lord Jesus, for everyone who's been directly affected with the deaths and the shootings of last week. Father, we pray and ask that you would have mercy. Lord Jesus, have mercy. Bring comfort, bring encouragement, bring strength. Father, I don't know how you'll do it, but you'll glorify your name, and we thank you that you will. Father, for those of us on this side of the city who might not even know a single person who's been directly affected, remind us not to forget, but to pray. As we sang earlier, open our eyes to see things unseen. Break our hearts for what breaks yours. And we praise you, Father, that you will bring comfort and healing and strength and that you, Jesus, weep with those who weep, you mourn with those who mourn, and you lift us up. And we ask these things in your precious name, Lord Jesus. Amen and amen. You all may be seated. You might be wondering, okay, why did Doug call Officer Tim up to pray over covenant? Did he need security? No. Last week, or maybe the week before I shared, sometimes being here at Woodbine, if, you've, if you're here at Woodbine long enough, you'll feel like you're working at an airport terminal. People come and people go. And I might get emotional here. I told him I wouldn't. He told me he would. Officer Tim, after a lot of prayer and talking with his wife, they've made the decision that next week is going to be his last Sunday here with us as our officer. And we just want to give you a round of applause and say thank you. Love you. Yeah, you did. If you could stand out in front of that. Uh, You all may be seated. I do want to ask a couple people to come forward and lay hands on Tim. We're going to pray over you. Uh, You can turn turn around and face everybody. You can face everybody. So um, that's okay. That's all right. Tears are good. It means you're a man. So anyway, um, if you know Tim, he's more than just our police officer. He's a greeter. He's an usher. He holds and blesses babies. The only thing he really hasn't done is he hasn't preached or played the drums yet, but he can probably do that too. Um, Tim, we want to say thank you so very much for uh, watching over us, uh, not only with your physical eyes and heart and mind, but the spiritual ones too. And you are a huge blessing, and um, we're very grateful to Jesus for you. And uh, we know that the decision you and Kim made is not easy but you guys do need to worship together on Sunday mornings. And we thank you for that new church plant down in Columbia. And uh, we're just going to pray over Tim. And uh, his replacement is, if if his replacement is just half the man that Tim is, man, we are going to be so blessed. So let us pray for Tim. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for Tim. He's not only the officer here on site. He is a dear friend and a brother in you, Jesus. And he is an usher. He's been a greeter. He's served almost like a deacon. He's run out to have umbrellas when it's been rainy and even park cars when it's been rainy or even snowy. And we thank you for his vigilance. Lord, we thank you for his family. We thank you for all that you've done in and through him to bless us and bring great glory to your name, Jesus, here at Woodbine. 
probably pray that today, next Sunday, would be just incredible Sundays of worship for him, even though he's got to be vigilant. Uh, And Lord Jesus, we just pray your great blessing on this new chapter in his life. Father, we praise you, and all we can say is thank you, thank you, thank you for the incredible friend and brother you've given us to serve us here and to bring glory to your name, Jesus. And we ask these precious things in your name, Jesus. Amen and amen. Awesome. Amen, amen. Well, saying goodbye hurts sometimes, doesn't it? Hey, but it's not forever. And uh, I was at a summer camp with Young Life years ago, and one of the work crew had to leave a couple days earlier after a summer working there, and he jumped on the radio, or he yelled, I can't remember, he is far away, and he yelled at me. He says, Doug, if I don't see you here or there, I'll see you in the air. And I can't remember this guy's name. Uh, he went to Baylor's, all I know, and he played football. He is huge, and I haven't seen him since. I'm just going to trust the Lord Jesus that I'll see him in the air one day. So... Right here, and I'm going to change gears now. We are going through the book of Acts. So if you're here for the first time, welcome to the church at Woodbine. If you're worshiping with us online, welcome. If you are online, you can see we have Lord's Supper today. So um, if I get boring in my sermon, go run and get the elements to help celebrate as we worship the death of Jesus and his resurrection. We are in Acts chapter 8. And we are going through the book of Acts. We're not hitting every single verse. We're not hit, even hitting every single chapter. But we're looking at some of the major points. And last week, we looked at the church serves. And specifically, we talked a lot about deacons. And I want to implore all of you guys. We have four deacons right now in our church. We need more. And I would tease that, hey, you know, our deacons are kind of getting long in the tooth. We'd love to kind of backfill that with some younger men. But there are, there are sheets on those two black tables back there that share and describe the qualifications for deacon here at the church at Woodbine. I am so grateful for our deacons. They are incredible friends of me personally and the things and how they serve us, Jorge and Noel and Wayne and Marlon. It's incredible. And we've had numerous other deacons here in the past. It's an incredible one. Actually, I know Jorge is across the pond, but uh, Wayne, could you and Marlon and Noel just stand up just for a minute? Here are three of our four deacons. Jorge's on vacation, but these are our three deacons. Wayne is our deacon chair this year. Marlon served as deacon chair last year. Noel is also one of our deacons. Noel specifically serves our Spanish speakers. And then Jorge as well. He's on vacation celebrating, I think, their 30th anniversary. But these are our three deacons, and we're praying that God would raise up more men to help serve alongside them as a congregational care, the Lord's Supper, and just using their gifts and passions. You all can sit down. Thank you. Using their gifts and passions. But it's not just deacons who serves. All of us are called to serve. And Jesus is the deacon of all deacons. And Jesus is the example of how we are to serve. Today, we're going to continue to move on here in chapter 8. We're going to look at the church united. And we're going to look at one man. His name is Philip. Say Philip. Philip, one man. And how God used him powerfully to actually bridge and open doors with other ethnicities. The first one was Samaria. 
Jesus said, and we looked at this the very first week, that when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, we'll receive power. Say power. Power, and we'll be his witnesses, Jesus' witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Philip was one of the first ones because of persecution to go in Samaria and proclaim the gospel. And through the power and presence of Holy Spirit, he was doing signs and wonders and healing. And then we're going to look at what happened today. But before we dive into this, I have a question for you. Have you ever experienced something where it just seemed more than a coincidence? All right, amen. Who said that? I'm going to buy you coffee. Where it just seemed like, gosh, this has got to be a God thing. Like a, It's more than a coincidence. It's almost like it was God-ordained. I'll never forget. This is a very brief story. But years ago, when I was in fourth grade, this family lived in Jackson, Tennessee. My parents were from Ohio. And way back then, we were considered the Yankee family in Jackson. And it was kind of hard to fit in because we rooted for the Buckeyes. We didn't root for Memphis State, which was Memphis now, or the University of Tennessee. Hard to believe I didn't root for Tennessee back then. I was a Buckeye. And it was kind of hard cracking that small little town and just that southern culture because we were the Yankees. And after about two years, this other family moved into town, started going to our little school. And I've got three brothers. This family had three boys. And guess what? They were the exact same age as we were. We went to the same school. And guess what? Their parents were from Ohio. Guess what? Their parents also grew up in the same town that my mom grew up in. Didn't go to the same high school. And we hit it off. It was amazing how these two families, the husbands, the wives, and all the kids had best friends. And we spent together almost every weekend with them together for three years. And then they moved away. And it was amazing how much we had in common. Friends places, school, you name it, it seemed like, my goodness, we've got to be related. But we had never heard of this family before in our lives. Three years pass. I'm doing a report on my genealogy. My mom calls my grandmother to talk about extended family members. One of the maiden name of this family, of the mother of our best friends back then, was Parrish. And three generations back, guess what last name came up into my mom's side? Parrish. And we found out that we were like fifth cousins or something like that. I guess we could, you know, you know, far enough away where, you know, we could have gotten married and that type of thing. I mean, we wouldn't have, but, you know, you know, the joke, you know, you know, you know, you know you're a hillbilly when you go to a, a family reunion looking for a date, you know, and that type of thing. Ooh, bad joke, you know. But it was almost like, wow, no wonder we had so much in common. No wonder there were so many names and people we knew and just places, and we just never intersected. And no wonder. Was it just a coincidence that we had become really good friends, or did God give us this family just so that we could be encouraged? God is always working in our lives. We sang it earlier. We prayed it as we sang. God, open our eyes to see the things unseen. Break our hearts for what breaks yours. We're going to see this amazing story here of Philip. So if you, if you close your Bibles, open back up. Acts chapter 8, starting at verse 26. And Yuri, thank you so much for reading 
today. Acts chapter uh, 8, verse 26. Let us stand real quickly. And there are three points in this passage that I want us to cover. Three. Say three. Johnny taught you how to count to two. One, two. Now three. Three things. The first one is this. Immediate obedience. That's the first thing we're going to look at. The second one is this. God is sovereign. And I really struggled putting this one on here for today, but it's needed because when things, when tragedies happen like this past week, if you're, if you are brain dead, you're not going to ask. But if you're paying attention, you'll ask, God, are you really in control? But yes, he is. God is sovereign. The third thing is this, the joy of our salvation the joy of our salvation. So right here in verse 26, this is what it says. An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, get up and go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is the desert road. So he got up and he went. There was an Ethiopian man, a eunuch and high official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to worship in Jerusalem. And as he was sitting in his chariot on his way home, Reading the prophet Isaiah aloud, the spirit told Philip, go and join that chariot. When Philip ran up to it, he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? How can I, he said, unless someone guides me. So he invited Philip up to come up and sit with him. Now the scripture passage he was reading was this. You all may be seated. There was almost a fourth point that I was going to bring up, that that is God speaks to his people. He does so first and foremost through his written word. That's why it's vital we read the written word to encounter the living word. God also speaks to us through other people, through sermons, through songs, through visions, through dreams, even through angels. Now, when he speaks to us in those ways, it will never contradict his revealed word. If it does, it's not of the Lord. This takes priority. Many people, they tease me because having been an Anglican priest, they'll ask, did you ever wear the hat? Oh, the mitre? You know, the big funny hat to a lot of us that the bishops will wear? I was never a bishop, okay? The mitre represents God's word. And the bishop will put it on, symbolizing that he humbles and submits himself to God's word. I've done this in the past, but hold your Bibles up or your smartphone. Be careful with that smartphone though, okay? Because there's more than the Bible on it. Put it on top of your head. Do you truly submit to God's written word? See, God spoke to Philip and he said, go down on that desert road. And how did Philip respond? What does it say? Does it say immediately? So he got up and he went down. So that first point, immediate obedience. The angel of the Lord told Philip, get up and go. What does Philip do? He went. How quick are we to obey when God speaks to us? Is there anything in our lives where God has made it very clear to you through his word to do or not to do? And you're like, "Mm, nope. Or tomorrow. Have you ever considered and thought that delayed obedience is actually disobedience? Whether it's something that he's calling you to do or calling you to stop doing. Philip is an incredible example of immediate obedience. And I'm talking to myself, okay? 
Not just you guys. I'm not throwing stones at any of you guys. But are we responding to God's voice, to his word, the way Philip did here? That's that very first point. Now, I love this story. I mean, Philip has already gone to Samaria. He's already preached. He's seen just hundreds of people come to know Jesus, signs, wonders, miracles. Philip is not one of the apostles. But God has used him powerfully, powerfully for the gospel. He's learned to hear the Holy Spirit's voice, and he's learned the power of walking in obedience, and he's seen the Holy Spirit work. And he says, go down this desert road. Ooh, really? This deserted road, this desert road, really? You want me to go there? Yes. And as he's there, then the Spirit says, go up to that chariot. Now on that chariot, unbeknownst to Philip, is this Ethiopian eunuch. This man who's unable to reproduce and have offspring. And he is the head lead treasurer of the kingdom of Ethiopia. Dustin was telling me this story here is of the first missionary to Africa. And this Ethiopian eunuch, who is one of the high-ranking officials, he's a Gentile. He's not Jewish. He's African. He's not Palestinian. And yet he's what they call in Scripture a God-fearer. A Gentile, he has adopted, or God has adopted him, must be in is what I should say. God has adopted him to be part of God's family. And so this foreigner has traveled all the way up to Jerusalem to worship God, to worship the God of Israel, Yahweh. And as a Gentile, he's not allowed to get into the temple with the other Jewish men. Being a eunuch, he's not even allowed to go into the temple. He has to stand outside in the greater complex. The court of the Gentiles is as close as he can get. He's a third or fourth class citizen. And yet he loves Yahweh. He worships Yahweh. And he went up to Jerusalem to worship God. And on the way back, he's reading from the book of Isaiah. Now, he doesn't know this. But God sure does, and God sees. God is already working and orchestrating and sending someone to this man who's been worshiping Yahweh, following and obeying him, but he's not saved. He doesn't know Jesus yet. He doesn't love Jesus yet, but God loves him. And anyone who humbles themselves turns and seeks the Lord, will be found. In fact, Jesus goes out and seeks after lost sheep. You see, the second point is God is sovereign. God was already working both in this Ethiopian's life and in the life of Philip, and he's bringing them together, and it's not a coincidence. It's a God thing. In Spanish, we call it a diocidencia. We try to say that one, diocidencia. That's a made-up word. The Spanish speakers are like, what? That's a, that's a Diego word right there. It means God thing. God is sovereign, and we're not puppets on a string. But he's so powerful and so wonderful and so wise 
that he can work even through our own choices, our own sinful choices. He is so powerful that his will is done. Now, some people just throw their hands up in there and be like, well, fine, I'm going to do what I want because God's will is going to be done. Mm. We are still held accountable to our personal choices and decisions. God can never be mocked. And he will glorify his name sooner or later. So you see, he's working in the Ethiopian because see, this Ethiopian loves him. Doesn't know him yet, but loves him. And he's reading from the book of Isaiah and God is sending salvation his way through the person of Philip to present him to Jesus. You see, you've got immediate obedience on Philip's part. You have God's sovereignty where he's working and orchestrating all things out. And as Philip runs up to this chariot, he hears this Ethiopian reading from Isaiah. And we're going to look at that passage briefly. But then Philip asks, do you understand what you're reading? And the man's like, how can I? And so he invites him up. So they're sitting on this chariot as this chariot is going down this dusty desert road. In the desert, what is there not? What's not in the desert? Water. And he reads, it's here, right here. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb is silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who will describe his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. This is Isaiah chapter 53, verse 7 through 8. Isaiah 53 is basically the John 3.16 of the Old Testament. It is the greatest passage that describes the death and resurrection of Jesus. It is as if Isaiah saw a movie watching the crucifixion of Jesus and he wrote it down. It's unbelievably how descriptive Isaiah 53 is. And just by coincidence, this Ethiopian is reading this passage and the Lord tells Philip to run up to that chariot. Really? Is that just a coincidence? Absolutely not. It's God's sovereignty working in the lives of both. And then it says right here, verse 34, the eunuch said to Philip, I ask you, who is the prophet saying this about himself or someone else. Now, I love this passage here, and this is one of the reasons why we lift high God's word and we encourage you to read his word every single day. Because one of the questions we have to ask is could you share the gospel to someone who you don't know based off of these two verses right here in Acts, which is Isaiah 53? Could you do it? And I don't ask that to shame you. But if you can't, I want to encourage you, read the scriptures. Because right here in verse 35, Philip proceeded to tell him the good news about Jesus beginning with this scripture. And then Philip goes on to describe, no, Isaiah is not talking about himself, but he's talking about this man named Jesus of Nazareth. And then Philip goes on to describe who Jesus was. He's God's son, and he was born as God's son, 100% man, yet 100% God. And he was anointed as Messiah, filled with Holy Spirit, and he preached the kingdom, and he healed people, and he traveled all throughout Israel. And then his own betrayed him and denied him, and he was crucified on a cross. His blood was shed for our forgiveness, and he was buried. But three days later, and most of you know this story, he rose from the dead. And Philip is telling this Ethiopian, this just happened a few months ago. This is amazing stuff. And I can imagine the Ethiopian is asking tons of questions. And Philip doesn't have the New Testament. 
He's got the oral traditions, the stories of the apostles telling him what Jesus taught them. And then he has the Old Testament. And he unpacks that gospel right there. And then look at what happens right here. As in verse 36, as they were traveling down the road, they came to some water. The eunuch said, look, there's water. What would keep me from being baptized? There we go again. Immediate obedience. So he ordered the chariot to stop, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized them. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. Was that kind of like Star Trek? Was that pre-Star Trek, you know, like when they disappear? Or does it just mean that Philip left? We don't know. And the eunuch didn't see him any longer, but went on his way rejoicing. That's point number three, the joy of our salvation. Philip disappeared, and the eunuch went back to his kingdom as chief treasure, rejoicing. Why? Because he finally met Jesus. He put his faith in Jesus, and he knew that he's now forgiven, and he's cleansed, and he's adopted as one of God's sons and God's kingdom. He's no longer standing in the outside court of the temple complex, but he can actually enter in boldly to God's presence because of the precious blood of Jesus. And so this Ethiopian is rejoicing because he's been adopted and forgiven and given new life. There is so much in this passage we could totally unpack, but as a quick review, the three points, again, say three. Ooh, y'all are sleeping. Three, say it. Say it with me. Immediate obedience. God is sovereign. The joy of our salvation. I want to invite our worship team to come up. And I just want to encourage all of us, as you know, we're getting ready to celebrate the Lord's Supper. This is an incredible time of worship when we celebrate the Lord's Supper. I want to encourage you. We'll have a time of confession. And if you're not walking in obedience... I want to encourage you during this time of confession before we celebrate the Lord's table, repent, return to the Lord, confess your sin. You do not have to promise God anything. Come to his feet, ask forgiveness, and he will lift you up. The second one is I want to encourage you, surrender to God's good, perfect, sovereign will. He's in charge, he knows it, and he loves you. And then the last one is the joy of our salvation. If you don't know it, if you don't sense it and understand it, ask the Lord, Lord, give me that joy of your salvation. David prayed it to be restored when he confessed after having sinned with Bathsheba, after having committed not only adultery but murder. He asked the Lord to restore the joy of his salvation. And may we be like this Ethiopian eunuch as we go our way today to rejoice in what God has done.